0: If you will, take your Bibles this morning and go all the way to the front, to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. That's the text that I want us to read, and I want us just to start with the text this morning. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me as we, and follow along as we read. We're going to begin in verse 26, chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. Uh, here's what the scripture says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Father, thank you for uh, reminding us of how it all happened, how we got here, why we're here. And Lord, I pray today that you would enlighten our hearts and minds. And Lord, if there's any confusion uh, for any that are hearing my voice, I pray that today you will speak to their hearts with your word, and that, Father, you will transform us with truth. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Uh, we're, we're back in our series, Myths That Lead to Misbelief. And today, I've entitled the message, as you can see on your outline there, The Human Identity Crisis. Now, the text we just read, uh, of course, is about the beginning. It's about uh, the creation. And there, frankly, there's no ambiguity in this passage about our design. There is no hint of evolution in our creation. God created us. It says specifically, create us male, and he created us female. Uh, and uh, the idea in the Hebrew is that God did it, and it happened when he, he did it. It didn't evolve over time. So there's no hint of evolution in our creation, and there's not uh, any hint of confusion on the matter of gender. He makes it very clear. He created them male and female. So the text is very specific about how we were crafted by God. It's just one of many in the Scriptures that's very specific about uh, God's design on us. Uh, the psalmist says we were uh, uh, crafted in, in our mother's womb, and, and uh, the prophet talked about how God, before He formed us, He knew us. And, and so there's a, a lot of, uh, of Scripture that reminds us, Uh, that God was intricately involved in our design and crafting us, and crafting us according to our genders, male and and female. But ever since the creation of man and woman, the devil has tried to disrupt and to destroy and to distort God's design. He's engaged, if you will, in this massive propaganda war that tries to promote uh, any lie that confuses humanity and perpetuates an identity crisis. Now why is that? Why would God want, I mean why would the devil want an identity crisis uh, to occur within humanity? Well simply put it's because the devil does not want you to recognize that you are created by God specifically the way you are for God and to be a reflection of his image. It's been said that the three most important questions in life are the questions who am I, Why am I here and where am I going? Those are the three most important questions. I believe that's probably accurate. And and the first question, who am I, is actually the most important because you can't answer the next two, why am I here and where am I going, if you don't get the first one right, all right? So if you don't understand who you are, you will miss out on the great reason that God created you. It's important to understand this because what you believe about who you are has a direct effect on how you live your life. Would you agree with that statement? What you believe about who you are has a direct bearing on how you live your life. Let me give you an illustration and several years ago Rolling Stone magazine interviewed Johnny Depp. You know who Johnny Depp is. And uh, in the interview, they asked him about connecting with other people and he said, "Well, Uh, He said, I don't do it well. I have difficulty connecting with people. And he said, one of the things that helps me is when I'm in makeup. I cover myself up in makeup. Uh, He said, it's easier for me to look at someone else if I've got makeup on. It's easier to look at someone else's face than your own face, he says. And I think that's true of everyone, he goes on to say. Further, he said, you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, and you're like, ugh. That idiot, again, he's still there. You look in the mirror and you say, what are you doing here? And then he says about hiding, I think it's important to hide. It's important for for whatever's left of your sanity, I guess. Wow, what a dysfunctional view of self, right? That's how he sees himself. And when I read that, I thought about the, the passage in Proverbs where the Scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Do you understand that how you see yourself, how you think of yourself, will really affect your destiny? It will affect how you live your life. So when the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, that's a profound statement because it reflects the fact that you believe, if you believe a lie about yourself, that lie will determine how you live. Now, in the culture we're we're in, and by the way, I just want to tell you, this message is not for the faint of heart. I just, I just want you to know that up front, that this message I'm preaching is not, is not a popular message, but it is a biblical message. And, and so if ever there were a myth, this is the myth series, right, myths that lead to misbelief. I believe if ever there were a myth designed in hell to lead to misbelief in a culture, it is the, the, the whole myth about gender identity and confusion that we see popping up in pop culture and progressive culture. And you know where that's actually coming? This actually comes from an ancient philosophy called voluntarism. Voluntarism is this ancient philosophy, and here's what it said. It said essentially that feelings trump the truth. In other words, so if I feel something deeply enough, it doesn't matter what the truth is, reality becomes what I feel. It elevates feelings over the truth. All right, voluntarism. By the way, which has been soundly rebuked through the years by philosophers. So today's pop-up culture kind of does this. It's decided that that there is a a new way for someone to determine who they are. And um, all one has to do is self-identify. They self-identify based on their internal desires, And then their self-identity becomes actual reality. That's the argument, see, that, well, if I have these intense desires that this is how I want to identify, then that becomes reality in the external world. It doesn't matter what genetics and biology say. It's just this is the way I feel and this is what what I want. So that becomes reality. So if you are biologically a male but you feel like a woman— You really are a woman. That's what this argues. Of course, that's all news to your DNA and to biology itself. In fact, if you kind of check off the box, it says, even though I'm biologically male, but I'm going to check the female, I identify as a female, guess what? Your XY chromosomes don't magically turn into XX chromosomes because you feel or you identify opposite nor do your reproductive organs and the chemical and biological makeup of you uh, magically change as well. It doesn't just all change because you say, well, this is what I identify, this is what I feel. In other words, your feelings of what you want to be true have no actual effect on what is really true about you. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so how is it that in our world today, feelings now, no more than the very physical and biological laws of the universe. That's what, it is in part because we don't know who we really are. We don't know what the Bible says about who we are. And today, you know, we're often told follow the science. Right? You've heard that phrase a lot in the last year. Follow the science. So in other words, whatever is science has to be accepted, right? Why is it that we are told to follow the science about everything until we get to gender and sexuality and then we throw biological science out the window? Follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. Oh, gender and sexuality, throw that uh, we don't need we don't don't bring science into this. That's where we are. Do you all realize that? That's where we are. That's where you are. And this kind of nonsensical thinking is now producing all kinds of absurd new rules that affect things like the use of restrooms, public restrooms, the use of locker rooms, athletic competition. Did y'all know there's controversy already brewing about the Olympics, about uh, some people who identify as a gender that they are not biological in and they're wanting to be accepted in? It's going to get worse, folks. It's just going to keep going if we don't get this stuff right. And so we're seeing it there. We're we're seeing it in the the lack of use of appropriate pronouns. You can no longer use he or she. Sorry. We are are being told now that, that gender is fluid. And so did you know in at least 10 states already there are provisions made that when a child is born they leave off the gender on the birth certificate and let the family decide what they want the child to be identified as. In 10 states already, you can do that. Or you can come back now in those states, and that's only going to increase, and you can come back and say, I want to change my birth certificate gender identity. By the way, recently they started talking about we're no longer going to call a mom who birthed the child a mom. Instead, we're going to replace it with the birthing person. What did the birthing person produce? We don't know. We haven't decided yet. (laughs) I mean, that's where we are. Look, how absurd is this, people? And then it's invaded the academic institutions. They're removing anything that reflects maleness or femaleness. Uh, 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 One university said that uh, they're going to uh, strip away terms like freshman, sophomore on those terms and just call everybody students because it's got man in it, freshman. And so no longer will those terms be you. Penn State announced that they will replace all pronouns in their course material and in, in descriptions with they, them, and theirs and that they'll use non-gendered terms like student or staff instead. The University of Virginia voted to ban all gender pronouns from the school's constitution. And the University of Michigan, their technology department, what would you think technology should work on? Technology? Their technology department has been assigned the task, the important work, of protecting students from the horror of words like picnic, girl. Man, and preferred pronouns like honey, any words deemed offensive, that's what they're, they have a a task force called the Words Matter Task Force. That's what the technology department, it makes sense, right? Technology, words, uh, that's your university. By the way, aren't these supposed to be the smart people? Did you know Paul wrote about them in Romans chapter 1? He said, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, listen to this, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, when you become futile in your thinking, your heart goes dark and hard. Listen, he goes on to say, claiming to be wise, they became fools, how relevant is that? Anybody that ever says the Word of God isn't relevant hadn't read the Word of God in the age you're living in. That's what Paul said. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And li- listen, it gets, listen, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Where does it lead? For their women, exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. That's what God says about uh, this stuff, That, that what happens is your mind your mind becomes futile, and when it becomes futile, it thinks it's being smart, and it's really demonstrating the foolishness of its thought and the mind. God eventually says, great, you want to think that way? You just go right ahead. And he gives them over. Let me show you how backwards and bankrupt this kind of thinking that has invaded our culture today. Let me tell you how… One writer… use this kind of logic that's being used out there on us about self-identity. And he says, let's see now if if what I want to be true suddenly becomes what is true because I want it to be true. And he says this, I told my bank that I I now self-identify as a millionaire. It didn't work. I told my my flight attendant that I identify as a first-class passenger. It didn't work. I told my prospective employer that I identify as the vice president of sales and be happy to start tomorrow. It didn't work. I told the law of gravity that I identify as Superman and can fly. It didn't work. I told the Tampa Bay Bucks that I identify as their starting quarterback and look forward to being on the team this year. It didn't work. I told all of the matter in the universe that I identify as being invisible. It didn't work. I told the law of thermodynamics. you know what the law of thermodynamics? I've told you about that before. It says systems run down, they don't run up. And he says, "I, I, I told the law of thermodynamics that I identify as always being 32 years of age and will never physically age. It didn't work. You get the picture. The fact that a person's internal desires of what they may want to be true has absolutely nothing to do with what is actually true in reality, but we're told that we need to believe that it does. So how is that? How is it that we can see the problem with this kind of thinking in all areas? Think about it. What I just gave you, the list identifies this, and that doesn't work. This doesn't work, doesn't work. But the only area we'll say, but when it comes to sex and gender, it works. G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite writers, listened to this comment that he made. Years ago, he said, A society in decay, a society is in decay when common sense becomes uncommon. A society is in decay when common sense becomes uncommon. Prominent psychologist Jordan Peterson calls gender identity completely insane. And a recent article published by, listen to this, published by the American College of Pediatricians titled Gender Ideology Harms Children, the article states, and I quote, this is American College of Pediatricians. Y'all with me? They ought to know a little bit about something about the effects of things on children. And this is what they write in this article. A person's belief that he or she is something that they are not is at best a sign of confused thinking. That's at best. When an otherwise healthy biological boy believes he is a girl, or an otherwise healthy biological girl believes she is a boy, an objective psychological problem exists that lies in the mind, not the body. And it should be treated as such. Those are their words, not my words. The American College of Pediatricians said that. By the way, that article has now been pulled down off their website. You see, at the heart of the human identity crisis, listen, is not physiology. It's not a physiological problem. It's very easy to identify the male and the female physiology. Would you agree with that? So it's not a physiology problem. I mean, it's look, that's a no-brainer. And, and listen, it's not a sociology problem, as we're sometimes told. God designed men and women. Did you notice the verse? Male and female. He didn't just say God designed humanity or God designed people. It says, and it's very specific in the Hebrew, God designed male and female. God designed men and women distinctively different for the very purpose of socializing. It's not a sociological problem. Uh, You say, how do we know that? Well, because at a certain point in time in the creation, God said to Adam, it's not good that man be alone. Now, listen. If, God, if Adam just needed a buddy, this, this project of managing the creation is bigger than, than I can handle. I need a buddy. It would have been, God would have created Adam and Steve instead of Adam and Eve. Thank you. Thank you. That wasn't a courtesy laugh, was it? It's my daughter's. Listen, he created woman. And by the way, the best we can translate that from Hebrew to English, when Adam saw Eve, the best way we can translate it is this way Wow. That's about soci- uh, sociology. This isn't a sociology problem. That's why God created male and female. But at the heart of the human identity crisis is a theological problem. Okay? It's not physiological, it's not sociological, it's theological. It's a a sin problem, and it comes and originated from the prince and power of uh, of this world, the prince of darkness, perpetrating a lie in the hearts of humanity that results in a confused understanding of how and why God created us. In other words, so that's why this question is so important, uh, figuring out who am I. If you don't get that, guess what? You won't get the other ones right. Does that make sense? That's why it's that important. So let me show you the truth about man, the truth about man, what the Bible says about man. Oh, oh yeah, excuse me. I just used a mellish pronoun to represent humanity, just like we've been doing for eons to represent humanity, not to offend a gender. And so, if you will permit, and even if you won't, I'm going to use it all the way through the rest of the message, okay? And the first thing I want you to see from our passage, the first note uh, we need to note is what the Bible says about the image of man. 127, verse one twenty, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his image. Now, when he says man there, he's talking about the idea of creation. But man was created first, but it represents what's coming in humanity, okay? Anthony Hokum, a theologian, said, the most distinctive feature of the biblical understanding of man is the teaching that man has been created in the image of God. Did you get that? The most distinctive feature, of the biblical understanding of man. If you want to understand man, you've got to start here that man was created in the image of God. Dr. Francis Schaeffer said this, if man is not made in the image of God, if man is not made in the image of, y'all stay with me. Now listen to this, very important. If man is not made in the image of God, nothing then stands in the way of inhumanity. In other words, we're just all products of chance. If we're not created in the image, if there's not purpose in our design, then listen, nothing stands in the way of, being inhumane toward people. Nothing matters toward other people. There is no good reason, he says, why mankind should be perceived as special if we we don't believe him to be creating the image of God. Human life is cheapened, and we can see this in many of the major issues being debated in our society today, he writes. He's true. By the way, he wrote that over 20 years ago. Now, the Scripture didn't say that you are created as a God. Don't go there. Don't mess it up. The Scripture didn't say you were created as a God. Some religions teach that you are created as a God, but that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are created in the image of God, and that's a a much different thing. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, I'll tell you one thing it means. It means that you are created... Uh, as a special creation. You are uniquely different, and the passage makes that perfectly uh, uh, plain. Man is unique from the rest of creation. He's unique from fish, birds, plants, animals, whatever it is. That's why human life is more valuable than plants and animals. That's why the taking of a life is so important because it is in the image of God. It is so different. It is a special creation. By the way, it's not like the angels. The angels are creation's but they're different from man. In fact, the Bible says that the angels long to look in to the, the redemptive plan of God for humanity. They longed that this is such a neat thing, how God would express it. it's great. They longed, but they they have been created for a specific purpose. Man is a special creation. Uh, he, he's higher than the plants and the animals and all of those sorts of things. There's a move several years ago by a professor at Harvard University to try to reduce humanity to nothing more than a high-class uh, chimpanzee. And so, a man's just an animal; they're no different. That's why, if a baby has a birth defect, they ought to be they ought to be eliminated after birth, because they they're just not they're like an animal. That's all we are. That's what he tried to, to argue. You see, and if you don't believe, if you believe you're a product of chance, if you don't believe that you've been created in the image of God, it makes life worthless. Hello. And so, we have to understand uh, that we are created in the image of God, and Today, many have lost the understanding of the divine image. And as Paul said in Romans 1, as a a result, they worship the creature rather than the creator. Man's uniqueness enables him to think and reason and choose and express emotion. And those those traits distinguish him from all the other creations. So so what does it mean to be created in the image of God? It means you're a special creation. I'll tell you something else. it It means you're an authoritative representative of God. If you notice in verse 26, God gave man dominion over all the other created things. All the other uh, created things. Man had dominion. Why? Because he's a special creation. He's created with a, uh, the authority to represent God. That's how we were created. That's why Paul says in Corinthians that you and I, if we're in Christ, we are ambassadors for him. We're his representative. A third, I'll tell you, uh, uh, being created in the image of God is also, also means that you're a, a reflection of the glory of God. We were created to express God's glory. You were created, you were designed. That's the part. and if you if you don't understand that you're created in the image of God, you'll try to be a reflection of your own glory. October 2013. On various forms of social media, people posted 41 million pictures. 41 million pictures that included the hashtag hashtag selfie it was the first to our knowledge is the first appearance of that phrase hashtag selfie Uh, 2013 and the selfie hashtag has since grown uh i don't know three or four hundred percent since its first usage in 2013. it's no exaggeration to say that we've become a selfie obsessed culture right would you agree with that i mean we've become a selfie obsessed culture But there are some damaging side effects. Plastic surgeons in the United States have seen a surge in the demand for procedures ranging from eyelid lifts to rhinoplasty. You know, that's a a nose job. Um, And uh, all from patients seeking to improve their image in selfies on social media. In fact, a poll by the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive uh, Surgeons revealed from these surgeons, over 2,700 of them, "...that all of them have seen significant increases in requests for procedures due uh, uh, due to patients being more aware of their image in social media." In our words, because they're on social media so much, they want to improve themselves. So uh, there's been an incredible surge of people going to plastic surgeons to say, I'm on social media so much, I need to improve my look. One, one Manhattan plastic surgeon said, they come in with their iPhones and show me pictures. Selfies are just getting to be cr- so crazy, he said, but good for business. Listen, God didn't create create us to be a reflection of ourself. I'm not fussing about selfie. I'm not telling you that uh, uh, posting of selfies is a sin. That's not what I'm saying. But, but what I, I do want you to get as an illustration is the fact God didn't really create us to be a reflection of ourself. Hello? God has created us to reflect him and his glory and the divine things. And then, and then to be created in his image is to have a divine connection. You see, it's our soul that connects us to God. And it's our soul that makes us different from all the other creations, including the angels. Your soul is the most important possession that you have. Your soul is the most important possession because it's eternal. And it's our connectivity with eternity. That can be good or bad, right? But your soul is eternal. It's the most important possession you have. So you are created in the image of God as a special creation of God, you are creating the image of God to be his representative. You are creating the image of God to reflect his glory. And you are creating the image of God to connect your soul eternally to the way of God and the work of God. But here's the second thing I want you to notice. All right, that's the image of man, the image of God. The second thing I want you to note from verse 31 of chapter one is the innocence of man. It says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. In the beginning, man was innocent of sin. Did y'all know that? Man was innocent of sin at at creation, and and man was innocent of sin. And he was endowed by God with the freedom of choice. Now, because he was at that stage uh, 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 in a sinless environment, it caused man to have two things. It caused him to have a dynamic relationship with God. If you look at chapter 3, verse 3 and and 9 in that chapter, you see that man was able to carry on free conversation with God. Think about that. Just Like like if after the service, some of you are going to get together and and talk and everything. Just conversationally. Think about in that environment before sin entered the picture, man had that kind of dynamic relationship. How cool would that be? Now you say, well, we can still talk to God. Yes, we can. Thank God. We can only do that because of Jesus. I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But, but think about this. I mean, in that, in that pristine environment, man had this re- relationship with God that allowed him to just have this conversation with him. God, what do you want, God? What do you think? It was, relationship. it was a dynamic relationship. I'll tell you, in that pristine environment, it also permitted something else. It permitted man to have personal fellowship with God. The Bible says that man walked with God in the garden as a friend and a servant. I mean, this was so relational. It's why Jesus had to come in the world, because God wants us to have the relational connection with him again. Both of those are still God's desire. Dynamic relationship, dynamic fellowship, both of those are still God's desire. But that can only happen through a relationship with Christ now. And that's because of the third thing that I want you to see this morning. The Bible teaches about man. Uh, it teaches about his insurrection. Chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, specifically get into that, the insurrection of, of man. Uh, it talks about how Eve took of the, of the tree that God had told her not to actually uh, eat of. And, and, and she took of that tree, and she ate, and she gave to her husband to eat. You remember that she took of uh, its fruit, she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Listen, because God created man to have a loving relationship with himself, God gave him the ability to make choices. And, and man's rebellion was a result of several things. First of all, it was a result of his, his ability to make a free choice, wasn't it? he had the freedom to make a choice to hear God, obey God, or or to disobey him. And by the way, let me tell you why you have freedom to choose or reject God's way. You want to know why you have freedom to choose or reject God's way? Simply put, it's because of this. God loves you, and he wants the relationship to be a love relationship, not a robotic relationship. God could force you to obey him, couldn't he? God could make you obey him. But if he did, you would lose the capacity to say, I'm following you because I love you. And Jesus said, you know what Jesus said? What is the great commandment? you remember what it is? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and on these two all rest all the laws of the prophet. Now, so God, did, listen, what he did is he gave you the ability to choose to have a relationship with him. A lot of married folks in here today. And if you were to ask any of them, are you married because you were forced to uh, to marry? Most of them are going to say, no way. I chose it. It was a choice that I made. And and listen, because it was a choice, the relationship has dynamic. If if you had no choice in the matter, it could be cold and heartless. So we have this freedom to choose. and, And Man's rebellion, in one sense, was a result of the fact that God given him freedom uh, had given him freedom. Another reason is because uh, man failed to trust what God had said. You remember what the devil's approach to Eve was? He says, has God really said? Has God really said? He called into question the authority of God's Word. Now, you know what, today, when you talk about the Word of God, and thank goodness we have the Scriptures, the, the living Word of God, but you know a lot of times we hear in our culture today, well, I don't believe the Bible. What are they trying to say? Well, you can't trust the Bible. You can't trust the Scripture. That's exactly what Satan's been doing for, for six, 7,000 uh, uh, years. He's been saying to us, do you, do you really trust what God has said? What God says, it doesn't seem to fit with what culture says. So do you really believe that? And the devil used that then. The devil uses that now. And what Eve did is she said, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe not. Maybe I don't know. All the devil likes to do is create a question mark. And your mind will take it from there. And that's what happened. And and so the fall of man was a result of his ability to choose, his, his failure to trust, and then his fear of missing out. Did you know what the devil said? God knows that if you eat of this fruit, you will be like him. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like he is. Now, by the way, that's a lie. But it's cloaked in a half-truth. Because they would be like God in the sense that they would know good from evil. They just didn't understand God was above, God was righteously above good and evil. But they would suddenly become aware of their sin and their rebellion. And they would know now and forevermore what good and evil was. And man allowed his pride to convince him that he he could and should have more and that God was holding out on him. You know what Paul wrote? Paul said, pride goes before the fall. Isn't that an interesting statement? Man fell. Why? Because of pride. How many of you are familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy? How many of you have seen those? You remember a character in there named Gollum? You all know who Gollum is? How many of you know who Gollum is? Okay, you can't graduate from worship today if you don't know who Gollum is. Okay, all right. Gollum, you know, is this little terrible little creature. Did you know he was, prior to becoming what he was, he was a a hobbit. Somebody said it. His name was Smeagol. You know what transformed him? His obsession with possessing the ring, this all-powerful ring. And it so so, uh, captured him that it distorted him from who he was into this horrible little creature. And you know why they, they refer to him as Gollum instead of Smeagol? Because it had so transformed him into this little nasty character. And when he swallowed, the sound that he, his swallowing made sounded like Gollum. And so that's how they determined his name. But it was his obsession with the ring, and it caused nothing but treachery and violence in his life. It distorted him, deformed him. Friend, that's an illustration of what happens to us when our passion, our desires, trump truth, uh, the truth of God. We become spiritually deformed. We become spiritually distorted, and we become distant from God and the tactics that the devil used in the garden he still uses today he tempts you in the place of freedom you have the freedom to choose you can choose right or you can choose wrong he tells you that god has not been truthful with you he lies to you that's what the culture is. you can't trust god and he teases you that you can have something better if you do it your way instead of God's way. And it's still destroying people. This is still destroying people, and it's still alienating people from God. So the rebellion of Adam and Eve produced something in all of their descendants. You and I are descendants. Did you know their rebellion produced something in you? That's the fourth thing I want you to see. I want you to see the inheritance of man. You you have an inheritance because because of what their uh, failure in the garden produced. Psalm 51, this is David writing, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. For some reason, human beings can't walk in a straight line. There's just something about our inner orientation that causes us to walk in a crooked or a warped way. Now that's not my conclusion, that's the conclusion of Robert Kerr, Cur- uh, uh, who's a science correspondent for NPR, and in an interview on the morning edition, Curlwich cites a study from Jan Salman, a scientist from Germany, and here's what this scientist did. He took some subjects and he blindfolded them, and then he asked them to walk for an hour in a straight line. Y'all with me? So he blindfolds them, he says, I want you to walk a straight line for an hour, without exception. Without exception, people couldn't do it. Of course, everybody thinks they can. Everybody thinks they can walk in a, a straight line. Just point me in the direction, and I'll be okay. Until they remove the blindfold. And then they see what a weird, crooked path that they would taken. And Kurwitz concluded that there's a profound inability in humans to walk straight. And according to this research, there's only one way we can walk in a straight line. Do you know what it is? Only one way you can walk in a straight line. And that is, have your eye fixed on something. Isn't that interesting, too? Because the writer of Hebrews said this, let us run the race that has been marked out with endurance, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. There's only one way you can can walk in a straight line. And, And you know what? Spiritually, in a spiritual sense, we can't walk a straight line. It's our inheritance. See, we inherited this. Uh, this sin nature, this nature that makes us go go wrong I, I've said this to you many years have you ever noticed nobody has to nobody has to tell me how to mess up I, nobody has to tell me hey right now look if you want to mess up you need to do it this way I'm, I'm a pro and you are too nobody has to but they we have to be coached, don't we? to walk a way of righteousness, a path of righteousness, because our natural inclination is to go crooked. That's our natural. That's what we inherited, the sin nature. So something has to interact against that. And that's why Jesus came into this world, because you and I cannot walk a, a straight line apart from the work that Christ has done for us. And it's been passed on from every generation, to the next generation, the next generation. You may say this, well, I don't want it. I don't want that inheritance. Let me give you a spiritual answer. doesn't matter. It's in your spiritual DNA. You you can't walk straight. The fact is, you're a sinner. The Bible says, for all, that's all of us, preacher, all of us, the Bible says, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, it's funny to watch. Have you ever watched a new parent, first-time parents? They have that beautiful little precious child. They take pictures. They buy everything they can. They tell everyone about their child. It's perfect. That child's perfect. Hard to see that that child possesses a sin nature. You know, they're just so there's no way this little child possesses a sin nature. But everybody who's had children, one or two, they know. (laughs) They know what's coming. You let the little rascal grow for a while. And eventually, you'll have days where you think. You birthed a demon, (laughs) except for grandkids. Different story. You see, here's why I tell you that. Even, Even a child has an inherited sin nature. You know what the Bible says? It says rebellion is bound up in the heart of a child. You say, well, I don't think it's fair. Let me give you a spiritual answer again. doesn't matter. It's there. your sin nature was inherited. It was passed on. it's your inheritance, and you can't do anything about it. You can't do. You say, "Well, wow, how depressing is that? I can't do anything about it. Well, I got some good news for you. That's true. You can't do anything to alter your sin nature, but God can and God did. And I want to close with that, because I want you to see the investment, the investment in man. The investment, and it's all about the investment God made in you. Note on your outline, Ephesians 2, 4, really, and following all the way through verse 9 and beyond. But just a couple of verses in that passage. Let me just read them to you. Don't try to find them. Our time is almost gone. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love, listen to this, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. All that, that's talking about the investment that God made in you. What was the investment? It was the investment of His Son Jesus Christ. You remember? Do you remember the passage where Jesus once asked the question, "What will a man give for his soul?" Y'all, y'all remember, anybody remember that? You know, Jesus said, what, what? What is the value of a man's soul?" Well, there was a tongue-in-cheek article some years ago in Business Insider, and they tried to answer that question literally by estimating how much your soul is worth in real dollars. And they admitted, the article Business Insider admitted that the business of soul evaluation isn't an exact scientist and the, uh, science. And they referred to a story I read years ago called The Devil and Daniel Webster. Has anybody else ever heard of that story or read that story? Am I the only one in this building that has read The Devil and Daniel? Was Okay, several, several other old people. Um, the Devil and Daniel Webster. And and it's a story about a man named Jabez Stone and he makes a deal with the devil. He sells his soul for 10 years of prosperity. There, that's a cliff note so now you don't have to go read it. Well, there's more to the story. But he sells his soul for 10 years of prosperity. And so Business Insider, uh, again, tongue-in-cheek, says, okay, what would that kind of in real dollars, what would that look like today, 10 years of business prosperity? And somehow they came up with a figure that would be today equivalent to about $1,745,000. But the article concludes that the best way really to estimate The value of a soul comes from the U.S. government's Environmental Protection Agency. And don't ask me how the Environmental Protection Agency got involved in this. But they use, the EPA uses what is called VSL, or uh, the value of a statistical life to determine the worth of your soul. That's how they do it. And as of a few years ago, the value of your soul, according to the VSL from the Environmental Protection Agency, was 8 point six million dollars it's probably increased some since then maybe ten million dollars by now that's what they said based on their statistical calculations of a life that's pretty good right ten million dollars some of you are thinking i'm going to cash out don't ten million eight million that's a lot but now let me tell you something as i close here god put an even higher price on your soul God put a higher price on your soul. Even though you and I have rebelled against God, even though we have have done it our own way, God did not forsake us. He didn't give up on us. And that passage that I read to you says that God, being rich in mercy, what did he do? He took action. He invested in us and in our future by giving us the greatest gift of all, his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he made an investment, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would receive him, believe in him, to them he gave eternal life. It's why Paul said, it is Christ in you that's the hope of glory. It's not you in you. It's not how you identify you. It's how God has identified you. It's not uh, uh, what you can do for God. It's about what God has done for you. And you see, apart from God, your condition is hopeless. And apart from God, your identity is deformed. Do you understand now why the identity confusion that goes on in our, curl, uh, our, 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 uh, our culture is so dysfunctional? It's because it misses the old point of your design and your design being in the image of God and very specific and very divine, d- defined. And so that's why Christ came to invest in you, to get everything straightened back out for you relationally with God and your identity in the image of of God. That's why Paul wrote and said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, all things have become new. You see, in Christ, we have a new identity. In Christ, we have a new identity. We're not who we were. We're who we've been designed to be. We are now in a position where where we can become all that God created us to be. He gives us a new identity. I'll tell you what else. He gives us a new eternity. Paul said old things are passed away. All things have become new. Friend, you all hear me this morning. The identity crisis that we're seeing in our culture is really a clever scheme of God's arch enemy, the devil. That's been designed to create confusion and chaos in the souls of men and women and boys and girls designed to cause them to miss out on the reason God created them to start with. And friend, the devil does not want you to understand that you are created in the image of God. He doesn't want you to get that. He doesn't want you to understand that God created you male and female because he knows, the devil knows, he knows, he knows, he knows that if you really understand who you have been created to be, if you really understand your God-given identity, you know, he, it will change your destiny. And that's why he wants to take a culture down by confusing the who we are. And that's the truth about man and that's the truth about your design would you pray with me lord <clears throat> thank you that you know so much better than we do and lord i know the message the stuff i've talked about today is not popular in the world because it goes cross grain to the ideas about why we were created and about our identity father male and female but lord We have the same choices that Adam and Eve had to make, and that is, do we listen to the lie of the world or the truth of the Word? And I pray for any under the sound of my voice, whether it's by television, by live stream, in this live audience, however it may be, Lord, if they're struggling with this, would you help them to understand how much you love them, that there's no confusion with you on how you design them, Would you help them, Father, to see that out of your love you created them with purpose and, Lord, cause their hearts to be tenderized to the truth. Lord, there are some under the sound of my voice, and they've never trusted you. They've never actually connected their soul to you. They've connected with religion, but, Father, they're just as lost as they can be. And I pray that today, Lord, that you'll open the eyes of their heart, that you'll cause the scales to fall from their eyes, spiritually speaking, and cause them right now, Lord, to see who you are, that you are their Savior, that you are the God who loves them more than anything or anyone on this planet, that you have a way, and that way is a way of transformation. I pray today that they'll call on you with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody's looking about in this place. And those of you who are joining us by live stream or television, I want to invite you today to give your heart to Jesus Christ. How, you say, just like this. Say to Him, from your heart, or out loud if you wish, just speak to Him and mean it. Say, Lord Jesus, thank You for creating me. I realize today that You create, I'm a special creation that You have made. And You have designed me to be that creation. To be a reflection of your image and right now i want to invite you to come into my life forgive me of my sin thank you for jesus who died on the cross for my sins who took care of a problem i couldn't take care of and i receive you as my savior and now transform me just as you say in your word that if any person be in christ they are new creations I thank you that in Christ I now am a new creation because I receive you as my Savior. Now, Lord, would you hear these prayers? There are some listening to my voice and they just need to say to you, Lord, I haven't been living out of the purpose of my... I've allowed the world to confuse my ideas about what is truth. And I don't want to live by the myths. I want to live by the truth of your word restore me, refresh me in your truth, that I may walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, would you hear these prayers, I pray, this morning. Hear these prayers. We offer them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning for our invitation time? I'm going to be here at the front. Chuck and Bob are going to be on the other aisles. I want to invite you if you prayed a prayer to trust christ i want to invite you to slip out and come and tell one of us take one of us we'll take it from there if you're watching by live stream you say i prayed that prayer you just hang on we'll tell you uh, specifically uh, how you can connect that decision you may be here in this place and say you know what i need a church home we've already had people join today maybe you say i've been looking for a church home and i want rich Crest to be that church home would you slip out come to one of our staff and just say hey i'd like to join you may be here this morning, and you just want to come and kneel around this altar. You know, look, I'm not trying to force anything on you. God knows my heart. But there's some power on a bent knee. And these are interesting days. I want to tell you something. These are interesting days to be alive in and to be Christians in. And I just think we ought to fill this altar up about every time we come in this place. People praying for Maybe you're praying for someone to get it. Maybe you're praying for a decision you've got to make. Maybe you just want to talk to God on a bended knee. Listen, when we start, when we start moving, why don't you just move out and come to the altar? Pray. But listen to the voice of God. If there's a tug going on, that's the Spirit of God. The devil will never tug you toward God. Right? You ready? As a band plays right now. You slip out. Move now. Come on.